Hey, 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 everyone. It's your boy, Marky Mark, Marcus, Mark, whatever you like to call me. So welcome back to Mounds and Valleys, the podcast. I hope you guys had a great week. You know, um, my week's been pretty good so far. I had a pretty good week last week, you know, keeping up that good old busy work life and whatnot. Um, actually had my birthday this past weekend, 18th birthday. It was very fun, and thank you to all my friends and family out there who said happy birthday. It was it was a very good birthday. 18th birthday, probably, I'd probably say one of my favorite birthdays. I don't know if it would say my top birthday so far. I don't know, I haven't like put that much thought into it. But it was really nice, you know, got to, got to hang around with some friends and some family. And, you know, it was just like, honestly, it was probably one of the more simplistic birthdays that I've had. But, like, I want that. I, I like having, I, I like the simplicity, to be honest. Here lately, I've really been thinking about that term. And that word and phrase a lot is just, it's just simplicity and how we can just have so much joy and happiness and the simple things, the easy things in life. And I'm kind of glad I'm being taught that, you know, that not everything has to be, you know, complex. It doesn't, not everything, I guess what I'm trying to say is not everything that I want and need has to be expensive or luxurious, top of the line, you know, the fanciest of the fanciest Honestly, it's, I find joy in the simple things, you know, things that maybe other people kind of look at with less value. I mean, to me, it's not really the outside appearance. It's the meaning behind, you know, the material or the meaning behind a person or the heart in the person, you know. That's, you know, it's probably one of the reasons why um, I actually enjoy letters and whatnot. Don't really write a whole lot of letters, but I've got a few here and there throughout I'd say throughout the past two or three years, and you know, they're pretty nice to get, so if you guys want to send me a letter, it'd be great, but um, I really do, I, like, letters are something that I think are really personal and deep and profound, and just, just it's just really, it's just simplicity that I found a lot of joy, and I think when we can find our, ha- like, our, if we can find our happiest selves in the simple things, then just imagine what will happen when those more luxurious things come along. And not even that, I think, you know, why not rejoice in the simple things? I mean, why do we have to have everything top of the line? Can we just be thankful and grateful for what we have and whatnot? Anyways, that's just something that's kind of been on my mind here and there. I hope you guys had a good week. Like I said, I I hope you guys really do have a good week. Been praying over this podcast, praying over you guys and every viewer. Um, There was one night, actually, that... um, so I use the Anchor app, right? Anchor app is the best app to start a podcast, by the way. Just throwing it out there. It's in iTunes. I'm pretty sure it might as well be in Android, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, I went on my Anchor app, and I looked at, like, it shows me, like, the listeners. And I think it was, was it last, it was, I don't remember when it was. It was, like, either last Friday or last Saturday, and the viewers went from like two, like went from two people to six people overnight. And this is an episode that had only been out for like less than 24 hours. So it was like a four listener jump overnight, which, you know, maybe to you made it doesn't sound a lot. But for a podcast that has been going for um, not even three weeks, that's actually pretty cool. And I'm really excited for, like I said, I'm thankful for everyone and that does this. this. This is something that I've wanted to venture out on for a while. So I'm just glad I'm being able to do it. And uh, so got some new 
I could say, I guess you could say audio equipment, quote unquote audio equipment. It was only like 12 bucks on Amazon. But I have a nice little microphone attached to my shirt, so you'll probably hear me more clear. You may hear some things you probably don't want to hear, like, I don't know, maybe me breathing, so. <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, the mic is great and all, don't get me wrong, but like when I was testing it on my phone, don't get me wrong, I've always has, I always have the volume all the way up on my phone, and I could like, it was almost too loud for me when I had my volume turned all the way up, so you might have to turn yours down, but I mean, that's not a bad thing, that just means you can hear me more clearly and more um, sternly, sternly? Stanley, sure, why not? So, uh, you guys are probably ready to dive into this week's topic so looking back at um, the past few weeks, you know, of course, the first week we talked about what does mountains and valleys mean. We did that uh, for our second episode. We talked about, oh, geez, I, um, if I get the order, I always mix up the order. I think, yeah, we, we talked about uh, faith. We talked about, you know, Daniel and all of that. In our last episode, we talked about um, Nehemiah, 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 whatever you want to say. We talked about. Yeah, we talked about hope. We talked about faith with Daniel. We talked about hope with um, last week's episode. And so this week, to kind of, I guess, tie it all together, we're going to talk about love. But when I was approaching this topic, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, there's so many, there's such a variety of things you can cover when it comes to, there's just such, like, I guess what I'm trying to say, there's so many topics you can cover as love. Love is such, like, a broad, like, word for a lot of terms if that makes sense but it's like I there's just so many topics could have, like I could have done um for example could have done relationships I could have done um what is love I could have done how do we love you know maybe I could have done something on you know hey the the um the two greatest commandments I could have done something on that you know love the Lord your God with all your you know heart mind soul spirit strength um and love your neighbors yourself I could have done that I could have done maybe, you know, maybe, hey, why not throw an odd, oddball out there? Um, could have done maybe um, the book of Hosea. Actually, it's Hosea. Yeah, the book of Hosea. And I could have gone over maybe like love, God's love shown through, you know, God's love thrown through, uh, God's love shown through his judgment. There we go. I'll get it out eventually, I promise. Or maybe, like I said, I could just, I could have gone so many places with this topic of love. And then, you know, my first, I guess, instinct or just what first came to mind when I wrote this down, because I have like a legal pad that I usually like outline everything on or at least write down my thoughts and whatnot. So at first, like kind of came on, I was like, okay, we'll just do like unconditional love because, you know, I've been thinking, you know, listen to songs like Reckless Love, Abide. Um, what else was I listening to? Listening to Surrounded, um, two of the, like, That's by Bethel. Um, I sing... Yeah, Josh Baldwin is who I like hearing sing that song. By the way, um, surround a great song. Um, only I can only imagine that that song. Listen to that and listen to actually some of um, the late great Billy Graham, some of his stuff here and there, and just the idea of unconditional love. I guess just kind of sprouted to me at first, but then as I was going through and writing all this down and kind of just listening to, you know, the thoughts in my mind, you know, thinking about this podcast for the past few days and then just kind of sitting honestly sitting here in silence for about 30 minutes and just waiting for you know kind of God to speak through me whether through his whether through 
um, through scripture, through worship, through a song, through, you know, a, like a, one word, through a phrase, or just through anything, a vision, the thought, because God has many ways of communicating with us. And so I just sat here, and so I waited, and I finally got kind of like, I don't think, I don't know if confirmation is the right word, but I definitely was like, okay, it's not going to be unconditional love, because the more I, I put some prayer and thoughts into it, I was like, no, this topic is not going to be, it's going to be love, don't get me wrong, it's going to be love, but instead of unconditional love, instead of focusing on like one one passage or one, you know, one book in the Bible or something like that, God just brought this question to my mind, and I think it's a question that I actually even, I think about often, maybe not in this way, but I do think about it, I do think about this question in terms of um, you know, like I kind of say, why me, God, God, why would you choose me? Or God, why do you let this happen? Or God, why do you bless me? So it's like kind of like it can be two ends of the spectrum of saying, you're praising God saying like, oh God, why would you choose me? Like you're kind of in awe or it could be the other end of the spectrum where you're like, God, why would you let that happen to that good person? And so the overall question and the overall like topic slash title for this whole episode is going to be this. How far does God's love go? Now, usually, you know, if we were honest with ourselves, I think sometimes we take questions like these and we go, oh, God's love, it, it, it goes far, it goes wide, it's everlasting, it's unconditional. Which, don't get me wrong, correct, you're, you're right. But I think, I think that question needs more than just a Sunday school answer. It needs... It needs a real investigation, for say, a real look into it. And so just thinking about that question, I went, oh my goodness. I was like, this is a great question of, of not even just asking ourselves, but also asking God, is God, how far are you willing to go for me? Usually we like, you hear this, you say, how far does God go for us? Or how far will God go for all of you? But this question, I really want to, when you hear it, fo- let it focus on yourself. Because when you hear it, don't just be like, how far does God's love go for us? Yes, that is somewhat a part of this, but I want you to really take this question and go, how far does God's love go for me? Because this, I think that's meant to be a really personal question, is how far is God willing to go for you in your life? Or how far do you think God is going to go for your life? Because I think some of us, maybe we underestimate God. I mean, heck, we all underestimate God because His love is unmeasurable. So every, you know, measure we try to put to His love is wrong because He is infinite and we're so finite that we just don't understand. We cannot comprehend that gap of distinctiveness between us and God. So I'm going to just kind of honestly jump around the whole Bible today, just looking at some stuff, whether I read scripture or I just kind of say one or two sentences about a character in the Bible, let's just, I say let's just get right into it. I think one of the first places we see God's love unveiled to us, and this is definitely something, it's not one of those first, I'd say in my opinion, I think it's straight out there for all of us to see. Because, let's see, it, and I think it's it's right there in creation, honestly. And that is, you know, when God created us. I think even, you know, obviously even before that, before God you know, physically made us, 
I think he really did love us because he had a plan to make us, you know, he had to have a plan to make us before he made us physically. So I think he loved us even before we were created. And I think it's true for all of us, even before we all were born, you know, God had a plan for us from the beginning and even before the beginning, or at least the beginning of what we understand. So to start this off, let me just read from, um, I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 or 27. And that says, oh, got to flip the page. I was on the wrong page. Look at me go. And so in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our own likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Going on to verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And I'm going to hop down to Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 7. says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and a man became a living being. So I truly think, and you know, from there, obviously, um, God also makes Eve out of Adam's rib. And they walk with, and they actually walk with God, like physically walk with God, daily in the Garden of Eden, and God's with them. And so it's this great, intimate relationship, you know, between all three of them. And so, you know, from the beginning, God had an intimate, He had an intimate, a deep, a profound love for us. God, honestly, if He wanted to, God could have just made us just like all the creatures of the earth. He could have just. Maybe even made us like the like you know the plants and the um, the seas. If he wanted to, he he could just make a make us like them in the sense of not being in his image. God could have done that. God didn't have to make us any more special than all the rest of the creation, but he did. And I think that's really because he wanted us to be able to have that deep love and relation with him. And so God made us to be much like Him and give us a chance to be like Him. Anyways, continuing, sorry, I just had like a, a brain fart right there. And so, like I said, in the beginning, I think God had that intimate, that deep, profound love for me and you. Not just for Adam and Eve, He was looking into the future, you know, because He's all-knowing, all-powerful, um, omnipresent. And He just, He loved us. He wanted to make us in His image. He wanted us to be holy and righteous just alongside Him. Of course, we are not God. We were not made to be God, but we were made to be like Him and be able to relate to Him in other ways that no no other organism or creation on this earth could. And I think that's another reason why He even put us as stewards over the creation and let us manage the creation is so that I think He, he put us in such a leadership position because it's just another way of him showing his grace and his mercy, but also showing us that in some way his love comes with responsibility. And that's not, a, that's not a bad thing. The responsibility was meant to be very fruitful, very fulfilling to life. And it may would make us feel whole in what we do and very purposeful in our everyday life. And I think that's one of the reasons why God gave us responsibilities. And plus, he wanted us to practice growing stuff and multiply and make, you know, fruit of the earth, for say. But of course, if you read on to chapter 3, you'll know that, well, things didn't go so well. 
because obviously that was the fall of man. You know, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So, you know, they disobeyed God. That was when sin entered into the world, entered into the human nature and human life. And so you had, you know, the fall, or I, it's, it's labeled the fall. It's called the fall, the fall of man. Usually I prefer to it as the fall of Eden. It's probably maybe a right term, maybe not a right term, but it just helps me sum it up in my mind. But I think the cool thing about the fall, which you're kind of like, how can you get anything good out of the fall? Because, you know, we were, you know, God had to, you know, there had to be consequences. So God cursed, you know, cursed us and the earth for for our sin. But even in the midst of us screwing it all up, us messing up the most, literally us messing up like heaven on earth, that's literally kind of what we messed up. God still looked out for us because if you looked in Genesis chapter 3 at verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And so even when we had, even in their sin and their shame, God still looked out for them. He still gave them clothing. And even though, you know, he had to kick them out of the garden, he still looked over them and he blessed that family's life. Of course, you go on and you'll see that, you know, there are part, there are some darker parts to that family's history, like, you know, Cain killing Abel. But, you know, that darkness does not stay because then you get to the stories of people like Abraham and, you know, God's faithfulness has shown time and time again where it all it took was one person to be faithful to God to change nations. And, and God really started showing His love. And I think he, His love began in the beginning. I think maybe we get a misconception sometimes that the true, what we, what we identify as the true love of God did not come until the New Testament. I think that, because I used to have that mindset where I didn't, I would not say God hated us in the Old Testament, but I did not really, I did not really see that love at first in the Old Testament. But now looking back, looking deeper and looking in detail to the stories, God's love has been there since the beginning. Even during the fall and the sin of man, God, God's love was just bursting. And, you know, if you think he had joy and having to curse man, he didn't. That was probably the most heartbreaking thing he ever had to do. I mean, I can't even imagine how shattered he was. Like, can you imagine how... And even the fact that God's heart shattered for us shows the amount of love that he has for us. Because where other religions believe that their God... Honestly, looking at other religions, their God would just curse them, strike them down or whatever... Or just not paying any attention to him and be distant. But no, our God, the true God, you know, he chose to kind of stick with us even in the hard times. Even when we messed up, he still chose to stick with us and still love us love us, and still interact with us. And little did we know from the beginning, also a great thing is when you look in chapter 3 and, you know, he's talking to um, the serpent who's supposed to represent Satan and it says, I will put... Oh, excuse me, it says in verse 15, it says, in chapter 3, verse 15, it says, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And right then, from the beginning, God already had a plan to save the world. And I don't mean, you know, I don't mean come in like super Superman style and save the world, which I mean, this is way better than Superman, obviously. But 
from the beginning, God had a plan for our salvation. He had a plan to restore Eden, per se, and restore everything that was lost in this moment, and even bring back more if, you know. And so, you know, you go through all, all throughout the Bible, and you have an up-and-down relationship between God and, the, and Israel, and just God and His followers and people in general. I mean, heck, look at Noah. Look at Noah's time. It, you know, every thought of man was sinful, except basically for Noah. Yeah, except basically for Noah and his family. Everyone else was pretty much filled with evil. Literally, every single person living was filled with such evil, except for that one family and that one man. But yet, even in the midst of the flood, God shows so much mercy and love. Because there was room on that ark for people to get on. God didn't just make that ark big enough just for animals. God made that ark. And there's measurements and there's um, facts out there, by the way, that show God made an ark that was big enough for, you know, for the um, animals that, that Noah brought. And the ark was big enough for Noah and his family. But the ark also had some room, almost like empty room, and, it's, and, that, and if you think about it, there was still room on the ark for anyone that was willing to trust in God and be faithful and follow, you know, Noah to the ark. So God still provided a way for people, even though they had every evil thought at that moment, God still provided a way for them to have room on that ark. And that's just, that's mind-blowing to me that God was still willing to show mercy in such a way. You know, and then you go on all throughout the Old Testament. You know, you have Moses born into born into royalty, but he sees that one of the Egyptian guards or slave masters is abusing one of the Hebrew people, and, and Moses murders a man right on the spot. And that's and that's you know Moses murdering is no better than Canaan uh, killing Abel. It's all you know terrible, terrible, terrible darkness and sin. And so, but God still had a plan for Moses, you know, and then when Moses passed away, Joshua had to step up, you know, he was next in line to be the leader, but he was anxious and he was afraid, but then you kind of turn over to Joshua 1.9, which I'm about to do, you know, you look at Joshua 1.9, here you have Joshua about to be a leader, he's afraid, he's anxious, but what does God say? God, God says to him, and it says this in Joshua uh, chapter 1 verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with will be with you wherever you go. And so even in Joshua's moment of fear and doubt, God speaks so much confidence into him, saying, Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be distressed. You have me, and I have you. He says, I'm in your corner, Joshua. And, and, and as long as you stay with me, you have nothing to be afraid of. And if, I think one thing to note, I notice God says a lot, a way God recognizes himself a lot in the Old Testament. And he says, the Lord, your God. He doesn't, I mean, he does, but he doesn't always just say the, the Lord. Or he does not always say the God of, or God just simply. It seems like he, he, tends, he tends to like to say, you know, the Lord, your God. And I think when he puts that possessive there saying, I'm your God, I think that's him owning 
that relationship and owning us and saying to us that we are his sons and daughters and that he still loves us. That's a very, to me, that's a very fatherly way of talking to us saying, I'm your father, I'm your God, and I'm going to lead you through this. So you don't have to be afraid, Joshua. You don't have to be afraid, Mark. You don't have to be afraid, you know, whoever's listening to this podcast right now. You don't have to be afraid because God is saying, I'm your father, I'm your God, your Lord, and I will be with you wherever you go. You know, but what if we look into um, the life of David? You know, when we say, how far does God's love go? Usually we ask that because of something we did. I mean, look at the life of David. David started out very promising, the apple of God's eye. God chose him from a young age for him to be the next king after Saul. He slayed the giant. He slayed lions. He had so many, like, countless military victories. God delivered him from Saul's hand. There are so many countless things that God did for David. And David went and committed adultery. And he, he actually ended up getting one of his... I guess, I guess it's fair to say his best friend. It was one of his best men, definitely one of his best men, and one of his best friends killed because he he basically lusted for his wife and he slept with um, his wife while his friend was at war. And instead of maybe owning up to it, he sent he sent his friend out to the front lines, and basically that was kind of David's way of getting him killed. You know, David being, oh, well, I didn't kill him. He got killed in battle. But, you know, nonetheless... That didn't justify anything because David purposely put him on those front lines to be killed. He knew he would die. And so David just hid all the sin and tried to cover it all up of the adulterous act he committed. And he tried to cover it all up instead of fessing up to it. And God did have to, you know, punish him and speak out to him. And there were consequences. But yet still again, yet again... God did not let that legacy of David's die right there. David's legacy, David's history was not stained, was not was not titled, was not labeled by that one moment of sin, by those moments of sin he had. Instead, God continued to bless David. David repent, of course, and David changed, and David grew more than ever in my opinion, even more as he did as a child from a childhood. And God was able to redeem the legacy of David. And so, like I said, God redeemed David's legacy. He went on to help write so many books and psalms. And Lord knows how many many people love the book of psalms and um, whatnot. And so David went on to live a life of worship. And worshiping God and being a servant of God more and being so um, humble and this humility was just struck in David's life. So like I said, God spoke into that sin. Even where David messed up, God took that. Now, God didn't justify David's actions. There were still consequences for David's actions. But even in those broken situations where David screwed it up, God still was willing to redeem the legacy of David to glorify God. I mean, himself. Yeah, God, himself, either one. And I like that. I love it. I'm not saying I love the fact of what David did. But I love the fact that even when we mess up, whether it's, you know, maybe it's something simple as a lie, or maybe it's or maybe it's stealing something, or, you know, 
Uh, this is probably, you know, one of the more extreme ones, but killing, hopefully none of you have done that, hopefully, or I should say murdering, but anyways, what I'm trying to get to, I'm just kind of getting lost here in the moment, like I said, I, I just love this, I'm getting so lost in the moment, but even when we screw up, whether, you know, drugs, cursing, anger, um, anger can, well, that's the funny thing about anger, I should say, being angry is not sinful. It's what act is how we act out with it is what may be sinful. So that's the line there. But basically, just you know, whether we're lying, cussing, drugs, stealing, or maybe we're like David and we've done the adultery. Maybe you're not necessarily cheating, but and maybe it's impurity that we are. You know, we're having sex and doing inappropriate things before marriage. Something that's supposed to be intimate and special we've just we've gone out and we've already ruined it or maybe that's the story for you that you know I'm not trying to speak judgment out here I'm trying to come from a point of compassion where because I've known people who've they've already lost that virginity and you can't get that back once you lose that purity or of yeah that virginity you can't you can't get that back it's one of those stains you'll have on your life forever, but, or I should say one of those scars you'll have in your life forever, but still God can speak life into that. And I guess that's why I'm just getting so lost in my words right now and so lost in the moment is because even when we screw things up, God is still willing to redeem our reputation and rebuild our legacy for His sake and the kingdom's sake so that we may humbly serve Him at the throne and at the cross and live a life of fulfillment that we were originally meant to have. Or maybe it's the other way around. You know, maybe it could be someone had a sin against us. Someone did trespass against us. For example, like in the book of Jose, his wife cheated on him, but yet God spoke, still spoke life in Jose. He said, go and, you know, he said, go and get your wife. Like basically he had to buy her back. Um, I forget how that happened, but he basically had to buy her back. But God spoke life into Jose, even when it seemed hopeless because he was hurt. He was suffering. He was heartbroken at the moment because his wife had gone and cheated on him and almost become um, somewhat of a prostitute, I think, if I'm not mistaken, at that moment in time. But God still spoke life in Jose saying, don't, he's, he's basically saying, go and get your wife. Trust in me. And I'm going to restore your marriage as long, like, he's, he's basically speak, telling Jose, I'm going, to, I'm going to restore your marriage. And even though Jose was hurt, he was probably mad at times, I would dare say that the one thing he wanted the most was for his marriage to be restored because he still had, I think somewhere inside him, he still loved his wife deeply. Now, am I, you know, am I going to sit here and say, let someone take advantage of you? No. I am not for anyone taking advantage of another, but that's just, it's a you and God thing of where you draw that line. But just, just know that if someone commits a sin against you, does something terribly wrong to you, or just hurts you in any way, that God can still, God can still speak life into you, and He can still give you hope through that love. Or maybe we we can even go back in time. And we can look at Job who lost it all, but yet he remained faithful with God. And, you know, he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. So he's recognizing God's power, God's dignity, and God's might. 
he remains faithful. But then at the end of the story, you know, Job or God ends up blessing Job more than ever. And Job, his whole life is restored and not even just restored. His cup is overfilled with the promises and the love of God. And those are just some things in the Old Testament, just running through where God's love never stops. Because God, he doesn't have to redeem someone like David. God doesn't have to redeem a man like Moses. God doesn't have to, he doesn't have to provide for someone like Abraham. God does not have to heal Jose. He doesn't, God doesn't have to do any of those things because it's all due to our downfall and our sin eat from right from the beginning. But yet, even though God doesn't have to, He wants to. And He does it for us because He loves us. So when you say, when you say how far does God's love go in those situations, I think every single person in those situations that I named out, and, every, and just a lot of people in the Old Testament, when they, maybe they to themselves, they answered that question of how far does God's love go, and they went, it goes further and farther than I could even imagine. Maybe they could not even comprehend, or maybe they were like David, and they could not help but dance and worship because they recognize how far the love of God could go. Or maybe, you know, and hopefully I hope that spoke to you, but if not, don't you worry, we got a... Guess some more because God didn't just, you know, that's his love in the Old Testament, but don't forget his love in the New Testament as well. Because starting in the New Testament, just looking through this, and I didn't know really where to go, I think a perfect place to kind of speak of the love that Jesus showed that Jesus came and he was able to, in my opinion, amplify and multiply that love that was, it was always there. But he was able to amplify it and multiply it in a way that we could comprehend more and we could see more and clearer. And it all began, and you know, it all honestly, it began straight from the get-go, from the moment Jesus was born too. However, I will say one of the points that I, I, th- I guess it just spoke out to me more is when Jesus chose his disciples and when he chose, he chose Peter. Um, so he chose Peter, James, and John. Yeah, he, so basically those three guys as his first disciples was Peter, James, and John. And let's keep in mind here at the time, you know, these guys were fishermen. And if you're a fisherman at this time, you're kind of almost honestly on the bottom of the totem pole. You're out there fishing every day and, you know, you're kind of dependent on whether they're kind of dependent on the environment and in, in nature and really dependent on God for say, if you have faith in God that is as a fisherman. So in that society at that time, being a fisherman, you were honestly on the bottom of the totem pole. You were barely making ends meet. You were providing for yourself. You probably hardly ever went to the market to actually buy food. And so you're just on the bottom of the totem pole. No one cared, honestly, and everyone else in the society around you doesn't give a lick about you. They, they don't care about you. They don't care how many fish you catch. They don't even care that you probably breathe. That's just how low on the totem pole these fishermen are. Yet Jesus, when he comes, and he's creating his ministry, he's starting his disciples. Jesus doesn't go to the high priest or to some religious guy out there. Jesus goes and he speaks life. He speaks purpose and identity into these simple fishermen. 
And if you look in Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 8, it says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, He said this to Jesus, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. As such, such conviction right there by Peter. He's saying, I am a sinful man. And it continues in verse 9. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. I honestly never noticed this before. But it really struck me. I wouldn't say struck me with... Yeah, I wouldn't say struck me with conviction. I'd say it really struck me with just, I was stuck in the moment of awe because here we have Peter, Peter literally bowing down just on his knees, probably on his face. And he just says, Lord, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He's not rebuking God because of who God is. He's rebuking God because of himself. He's telling God, God, you can't use me. God, I have no purpose in your ministries. God, I, I, can't, I can't benefit the kingdom. Lord, I'm not good enough for you. Now, yes, you know, on our acts alone, we're not good enough for God because we are sinful people. But God doesn't see, see that as our value. He doesn't see our value as a worthless being, a worthless sinner. God saw us, and Jesus saw Peter at that moment. He just saw him as his child, his son. He looks at you as his son. He looks at us as his sons and daughters. And maybe we get in a moment and caught up in maybe our guilt or shame, or just maybe we're just convicted in general, or maybe it's not because of our sin, it's because of our low self-confidence, it's because of our low passion. And we get caught up in saying, God, Go away from me because I'm a sinner. And that's the exact opposite of what Jesus is going to do. He's not going to go away from someone because they have sinned. Anything, he's going to run to them, put his arms around them and say, I want to forgive you. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. All you have to do is let me in and I'll forgive you. And you just have to repent and change and follow me in my ways. I know that sounded really complex what I just said, but basically Jesus is just looking at Peter and when he tells Peter, don't be afraid, I like to think he's also, that's his way of telling Peter, Peter, you may be a sinful man, Peter, you may have made mistakes, but I don't want to be far from you. I don't want to be distant from you. He's saying, Peter, don't be afraid because I love you. I want to give you purpose, Peter. You were made with the purpose, Peter. The Father made you with an identity and a purpose that you can find through me. And God and Jesus and the Spirit is saying the exact same thing to us. Whoever you are out there, God is saying, don't be afraid. I made you. I created you. Yes, you might be a sinner. Yes, you may have made mistakes. But my love, my mercy, my grace, and my forgiveness can overlook that 
and wash away the wash away those stains of sin and take off the shackles shackles of death. And God just says to you, I love you. God is willing to take us in, take what's broken and make it new, if not even better. At that moment, Peter understood, or maybe not really fully understood, but he understood a little bit, just a little bit, of how far God's love will go. And truly, we will never fully understand because even at the same moment, I think Peter's mind was blown because here you have Jesus just saying, I love you, and saying, come and be fishers of men. He gave them a purpose and an identity and a life of fulfillment. But that's not the only place we see love in the New Testament. Of course, you have Jesus' miracles, whether he's healing the paralyzed man, healing you know, the crippled woman, healing the blind, raising the dead, um, even maybe we see moments of compassion of Jesus when he, when he weeps for John the Baptist's death, when he learns about it. And so, you know, let me just move on to Luke 23, um, starting in verse 24 when I get there. I hope you guys are hanging in, by the way. I'm trying not to say, um, a whole lot today. So here we are, we're in Luke 23, in verse 34, and it says, and this is when Jesus is on the cross and all the soldiers had divided his clothes. And, you know, just keep in mind, Jesus has been flogged. He's been whipped. He's been embarrassed. He's been spat on. He's probably been hit by people in the crowd, probably had stones threw at him here and there. You know, and now the, the Roman uh, soldiers are making fun of the high priest, mock him. He's just in this, and he, you know, and he, here he is, he's on the cross bearing the sin of man, the sin of the whole world. And unimaginable, I can't even comprehend the pain he felt and the spiritual pain he felt at this moment. But yet still here he is in Luke 23 verse 34. He says, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothing by casting lots. So even when they were dividing his clothes and casting lots and saying, here, buy this for 20 bucks, Jesus spoke to God the Father and said, Father, Father, forgive them. Even after all the beatings he took, even after all the shame he felt, well, not shame, but after all the embarrassment he had to go through and all the shame he faced, not within himself but from the people and probably also from the sin he had to bear on that cross Jesus still loved them he could have honestly if Jesus wanted to he could have struck them down or he could have cursed them but instead he looked down upon those soldiers and the high priest with compassion and he said forgive forgive them God's love, the love of Christ, the love of the Spirit, it's unimaginable, and it doesn't make sense, but yet God is loving at all times and at all measures in such an unconditional, unfathomable, unlimitedly passionate, unbelievable, astonishing, profound, deep, intimate proclaiming glorified, holy, 
righteous, kind, patient, soothing, peaceful, restoring, healing, all-powerful, all-moving, all-knowing love just being poured out at this moment on the cross. But it doesn't stop there. Even, even on the cross, and this story, or this moment always gets me, is that Jesus is on the cross, and let me just go down to Luke, 20, Luke 23, verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly. These two guys were thieves, by the way. And he continues, says, For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Then he said, so the thief, the thief right here turns from talking to his friend, he's ta- or his common thief, he turns and looks at Jesus, and he says to Jesus in verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today, he... <laughs> this gets me every time, Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be in, you'll be with me in paradise. After a life of thievery, a life of sin and corruption, here on the cross, here we have a thief recognizing the pureness and the holiness of Jesus, saying, this man's done nothing wrong. And here he is just reaching out his hand. He's opening that door on his heart and he's saying, Jesus, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus just, he blows it out of the water with how much grace and mercy and love he shows. Because he just says to this thief, who seems like he's done nothing to deserve this, Jesus says, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. All we have to do is just confess and open our hearts to Jesus and just say, Lord, I want to be with you and I want to follow you in all of your ways. And that's what this this thief did. And Jesus, in the moment, this darkest moment in history, he just still looks to someone who's a guilty sinner as you and I and just says, you'll be with me in paradise forever because this thief has opened his heart to me. That's powerful. But yet, it still doesn't stop there, does it? How about we look at Saul? We look in the books of Acts, and if you know anything about Saul, Saul, obviously, Christianity, this is after Jesus had, um, well, I actually forget when this was, but this is after, of course, after the cross and the resurrection and whatnot. And this is when the church begins to grow and Christianity is beginning to grow. And so Paul comes into the scene, or I should say he's Saul at this time. He comes to the scene and he starts persecuting Christians. He even gets, um, he gets Stephen killed. And Stephen was a very holy and very righteous man. And he gets all these Christians killed and persecuted and thrown in jail. And so he's basically a murderer, a liar, 
um, probably disloyal in some areas. He's full of anger, full of hatred and vengeance. He's saying he's doing it for God, but he's so wrong in his ways. And he has so much hatred in his heart towards Jesus. Like everything that Jesus is and Jesus stood for, every probably every time he heard Jesus' name, Saul just cringed. I can't, I can't even imagine. He probably cringed and hated and probably maybe even foamed at the mouth because of the Christians, you know. He, that's how much hatred he had for him. But even someone like that who persecuted the followers of Jesus, God still had a plan for Saul. And he took Saul and he made him into Paul. So let me just read Acts 9 starting at a... Uh, Acts 9, starting at chapter chapter, yeah, chapter yeah, 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And at that moment, you know, Saul was blinded. He lost his, he lost his sight, so he had to be took back to, um, he had to be led into Damascus. And so here we have Jesus just reaching out to Saul, even in his hatred and his anger for him, and saying, I have plans for you. I have a purpose for you. Just in that soft, whispering voice of love. And then, of course, you know, Ananias comes by, and he, bapt- and he, you know, and Saul becomes Paul because he changes ways, and he grows a heart for God. And so Ananias baptizes him there on the spot. And Paul goes on to be this great, great Christian and great man of God to, who witnesses to nations upon villages, upon people, and just thousands. And he just did so many amazing things. And it's just, that's so much love right there because God was still willing to use someone who, and it's so amazing because even when we are God's enemy, he still loves us. He loves us as his enemy. Does that mean he loves the acts and the sins that we commit? No. But does he love us? Yes. Every time. And then, you know, you go and you read. And how about this? We go all the way to the end. The book of Revelation. Or let me just, let me just recap this before we end off. Because I kind of want to end with this verse in Revelation. It's taking me a minute to get to Revelation. <laughs> Is that the end? How am I having this much trouble? I don't know. Probably because it's like the very like last chapter of Revelation or, or the second to last chapter. So it's like the pages get like super thin at the end. But anyways, so just to wrap this up, man, just, you know, hearing this question of how far does God's love go? It goes so far. As far as the east is from the west and if you ask yourself and you feel like you're unloved, you feel like God doesn't have a plan for you, you feel like you've done screwed it all up and you can't do any more, or you feel like you've lost your place, that is so, so, so incorrect. Maybe you shake your head in disgrace. Maybe you 
hide your you hide in the darkness, you hide in shame, you hide in guilt because of all these things that you've done or people's done to you. You just don't know what to feel. You don't know who you are. You don't know where you're going in life. You feel like you've been you feel like you're a failure. You feel like you'll never mean anything to anyone. And I just want to say stop. Stop thinking that. Yes, maybe you messed up along the way. And maybe some people don't give you the love you deserve. Maybe you're like me. Maybe there's been some people you poured your heart out to. And you don't get that in return. Or maybe you're like some friends of mine. They've made mistakes. I mean, don't worry, I've made mistakes too. Maybe you're like me and like everyone else. You've done things that you can't take back. You've said things you can't take back. Or maybe you just, you get so lost in life that you forget who you are and you feel like you have no value. To all that, I say stop because God loves you. And you say, well, okay, what's that supposed to mean? That means God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He's a life for you. His passion is heart for you is it's it's unfathomable it's like it's unthinkable unreasonable and some would say probably maybe a little bit reckless but that's how far and how wide and how enduring his love is for us Luke 12 7 tells us that God knows the number of hairs on our head he cares about us so much to know details like that does your friend know how many hairs is on your head does your parents know Do they know how many, you know, do they know that? Do they know the dark details of your life? God does. And he knows those little details, whether they're significant or not to you. He knows those little details because that's how much he cares about you. When I, uh, when I've made some pretty errors in my life, some pretty big no-no's, and when I was an idiot, lost my immaturity. And when I pushed away someone that I now now I consider a dear friend and dear person. And when I pushed away other people who I consider dear friends and dear people. When I did all of that, and when I went through a time such as that, I lost a picture of who I was and I felt... I felt that there was no coming back. But I just want to tell you that through God, through Christ, you can come back. You don't have to stay knocked down. You don't have to lose this fight. You can win the fight. You just got to know who to fight with. And that fight is with God. You have to fight alongside Him and let Him fight our battles and be surrounded and encompassed in His grace and mercy. When you feel like Whoever you are out there, and whoever's listening, thank you for listening. I know there's a lot of hard times. I know what it's like to feel pain, to feel suffering. I know what it's like to feel unloved by someone you love dearly. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to feel like you're surrounded by this darkness And I know what it's like to have no hope, no purpose. I get it. I just want to let you know that 
faith, hope, and love can get you through all things. But love is forever the greatest because the love of God, it restores the soul. Well, let, me, let, me, let me share this quote with you I heard in my biology class. God can take a broken person, a dark life, a horribly scarred life, an abused individual, a hated individual, and He can make that person beautiful. He can take the brokenness, the darkness, the scars, the abuse, and the hatred, and He can take that person and make them beautiful. That's love. So to end off this podcast, I just want to end off by speaking scripture and speaking life into you guys. I just, Honestly, I don't want to say anything else. I just want God to work. So I'm just going to read this one last piece of scripture, and that will be it for me, guys. So here it is. Revelation 21, 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true.